Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. Malaria is the most deadly vector-borne disease in the world. What can we, as physicians, learn about the current global disease burden and the biology behind this disease? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Global Health. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars, your host, and joining me today from Atlanta is Dr. William Collins. Dr. Collins is a senior biomedical research scientist at the Centre for Disease Control in Atlanta, and he's been studying malaria for coming up to 50 years. Today we're discussing the biology behind malaria and its current global disease burden. Welcome, Dr. Collins. Welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to talk with you today. Now, you've been studying malaria for a long time. Firstly, I'd like to review the different types of malaria for the physicians who may be listening who aren't as familiar as you may be with the different types there are. Well, there are four basic types that infect humans. The most important is Plasmodium falciparum because it often can result in death of the patient. There are three, that's falciparum malaria. The other three are Plasmodium vivax, Plasmodium ovale, and Plasmodium malariae. Falciparum is primarily uh, found in Africa. Vivax is worldwide, but generally does not infect people with the uh, Duffy negative gene, so therefore it's not found in many of your people in sub-Saharan Africa, and therefore it's found in other places of the world, South America, Asia, and Oceania. Ovale infects everybody, so it is found mostly though in Africa, and in parts of the islands of the South Pacific and some areas of Southeast Asia. Malaria is also worldwide, but is very seldom seen because it is not diagnosed very often, but it's found out throughout Asia, sometimes in South America, and is very common in Africa. So it probably is only, would you say, it's about 1% or 2% of the infections are uh, malaria. Ovale is very rare, probably less than 1%. Vivax probably represents about 30% of the infections, and falciparum makes up the majority, probably about 60% of the infections you'd find worldwide. But in Africa, it's the dominant thing and is responsible for most of the deaths in the world. Probably, I would say, there's 350 to 500 million infections a year. But as far as deaths are concerned, there's probably anywhere between half a million to a million deaths, and those are in children primarily under five in Africa. It probably is found, malaria is found in over 100, maybe up to 109 countries, and worldwide, probably slightly less than 50% of the world's population are exposed or can be exposed to malaria. That's because anyone in the tropical areas of the world can be exposed, but some of the temperate areas of the world still have risk of people becoming infected. So it is it's still a major, major disease. And as far as the United States is concerned, we have about 1,500 cases a year reported. But most of that is people who have come in as tourists or as immigrants. And uh, they're diagnosed once they come into the country. Very rarely do we get a transmission in the United States. We still have our mosquitoes, but we certainly uh, don't have much transmission in the United States. We have a rare a chance of a local mosquito picking up malaria from a tourist or an immigrant who comes in and then transmits it to a local person in the country. And 
then uh, we find it here at CDC. It's reported by a state health department or a physician who uh, has a patient and then lets us know about it. And then we have uh, systems of either diagnosing it if the state health department or the uh, local health department needs help. We then advise them on the proper treatment that can be given the proper drugs. Malaria can be treated. Even drug-resistant malaria can be treated by the proper drugs if given proper notice and proper time. Uh huh. And of the disease burden you talked about globally, what's the percentage shared by children? Well, the disease is for uh, death and that is almost, death occurs almost primarily in children under five. Once a person, a child gets, uh, survives infection of malaria, two or three infections, when they're under five, they develop immunity and then can survive. So most of the deaths occur in children under five if they survive early infections, then they develop immunity, and then death occurs almost always, if it occurs, is in young children. Adults, of course, can die if they didn't have malaria in childhood or early. So therefore, in this country, if we have a person gets falciparum for the first time when they're adult, they're in risk of dying. But people develop immunity to malaria after they've had it a number of times in childhood or in adolescence. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Global Health, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars, your host, and today I'm speaking with Dr. William Collins from the CDC. We're discussing malaria. Dr. Collins, how is the incidence of malaria changing globally? Well, there's been a tremendous amount of effort in probably the last 10 years, and particularly the last three to four years, in Africa to try and drive malaria down. Now, a number of years ago, there was a global effort to eradicate malaria and at least bring it under control in other parts of the world. And it was extremely successful, except in sub-Saharan Africa. Because of the infrastructure there or lack thereof and the tremendous problem, it was thought it was impossible. But in the last, let's say, five years or so, there's been a concerted effort in Africa the uh, non-government agencies, the World Health Organization. And now there's a tremendous effort. There's the President's Program, the President's Malaria Initiative. There's the Gates Foundation. There's the Rollback Malaria, World Health Organization. There's a, actually billions of dollars now being spent in Africa in a three-pronged effort, the distribution of bed nets on unprecedented scale. Insecticide-treated bread nets are being distributed by the millions. In Ethiopia alone, there's been millions and millions of bed nets distributed to try and get children in particular to sleep under bed nets. There's been a widespread distribution in a number of countries of treatment of homes with insecticides. That effort was effective back in the malaria eradication days in the more developed countries. And that brought malaria under control and actually eliminated it from many of the developed countries through the use of insecticide by treating the walls because the mosquitoes rested on the walls of houses. Now, in some areas of the world, that doesn't work. If the mosquito feeds only outdoors, why then treating the inside walls of a house with insecticide doesn't work? But in areas that have houses and people sleep indoors, in the houses, why then that works. If a person sleeps outdoors on a hammock like in many of the tropical areas and the mosquito feeds outdoors, why then spraying the house doesn't really do that well. But it's being used in Africa now again, the use of insecticides, and it's being quite effective. But the efforts of the Gates Foundation, non-government agencies, and the President's Rollback Initiative, the President's Malaria Initiative, are having quite an effect in many parts of Africa now. 
Dr Collins, could we just review the life cycle of a sporozoite once it's injected into the bloodstream by an infected mosquito? Well, the cycle has been well known for a long time that when the mosquito feeds on a uh, infected patient, the sexual stage actually takes place inside the gut of the mosquito. And uh, after it develops the infective stage, the sporozoite concentrates in the salivary glands of the mosquito, and they're injected when the mosquito feeds. And very few of them are injected, actually. They go down the salivary duct, which is very, very narrow, so that only probably uh, anywhere from, well, let's say one, but probably from 10 to 50 are injected into a human when the mosquito feeds. And this is the basis for the vaccines that are being developed, the first stage vaccine, the first barrier. If you can stop the sporozoite from invading the liver. But what happens is the sporozoite gets into the bloodstream and it invades the liver. And uh, it does it very quickly, actually, probably within a period of from 30 seconds to several minutes, it will begin to invade a liver cell. And once it gets in the liver cell, it's fairly protected against any antibody that is directed against it. But if the barrier is put up there, the sporozoite is inside the bloodstream. If you have the antibodies present at that point in time, you can stop the infection right away. And that's the first vaccine that people started working on. And that's been in development for about 20 years to stop the sporozoite before it gets into the liver because the sporozoite doesn't cause disease at all. It just goes into the liver and starts developing there, and the liver stage does not cause disease at all. It's a resting stage, so to speak, where the parasite multiplies for a period of about a week to 10 days in the liver, where it's multiplying to stay probably anywhere from five to 10,000 new parasites for each sporozoite. It multiplies, and then after about the one week to 10 days, that stage ruptures, and that's what invades the red cell. It's merant or the merozoite. A lot of people call it merozoite. Some call it merants. But that stage then invades the red cell, and that starts what we call the disease-forming stage because those then invade red cells, and every 48 hours, if it's either Vivax, Ovale, or Falciprum, destroy a red cell, and it multiplies at the rate of about somewhere between 10 to 20-fold Multiplication every 48 hours destroys another generation of red cells. You have a multiplication of about tenfold destruction of red cells every 48 hours. So you can see within a matter of a short time, you're destroying huge numbers of red cells. Every 48 hours, you have a tenfold destruction of red cells, and they reinvade red cells, and then 48 hours later, you get another cycle. And that's what causes the fever and destruction and the disease is the destruction of all the red cells by these multiplication within the red cells of the malaria parasite. In the process, they produce a stage that will again infect mosquitoes as the mosquitoes feed on the blood. You have the cycle again of asexual, or that's all asexual development. The sexual stage always occurs in the gut of the mosquito, which feeds, produces again a stage that will infect another human. If physicians, Dr. Collins, want to update their knowledge more about malaria, is the CDC website a good place to start? Yes, we have a, a DPDX, it's called. A, uh, it's, a, it's a website that you can go to which has uh, not only information on malaria, but we have a, 
a book in there on the primate malarias. It's a disc. It's a 300-some page book on the primate malarias. If a person wants actually a textbook on all the malaria parasites, which not only discusses uh, the human malaria parasites, but the monkey parasites, because some of the monkey parasites can go into humans also. But that's uh, another subject altogether. But we have all the information anyone might be interested in on uh, diagnosing of human malaria and that on the DPDX website at CDC, which is available on the Internet. My thanks very much to you, Dr. William Collins, for being our guest today. We've been discussing the biology and also the global disease burden of malaria. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Global Medicine, on ReachMD, a channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at reachmd.com.